welcome to Safe Inside, brought to you by Theratribe. I'm Jeremy Loomis, and these are my conversations with Sandra Fields, an LPC and certified clinical trauma treatment provider with over 35 years experience helping people who have been through trauma. Welcome back to the Theratribe podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Jeremy. I'm Sandy. And last time we talked about, uh, we started talking about attachment styles. This week, we're going to continue on that topic with some discussion about attachment and trauma. Yeah, I'm actually excited about this because there's a couple of things um, that I don't know that we talk about a whole lot, especially even when I'm reading like popular literature around trauma. Um, I don't really see a lot of attachment around that. Um, which is interesting because it really does play a huge role in it. If we think about attachment as connection, a strong bond or connection between us and other people, um, trauma actually can sometimes be the, almost always be the opposite of that. So fragmenting, fragmenting, or think about dissociation. Mm. Dissociation just by its word is we are dissociating from something. We're not, we're no longer associated no longer being in their present. Mm. So adults or people who've experienced trauma, either as children or adults, they might find that trauma is easier to cope with by, by no longer being connected and dissociating from life, from themselves, from other people. Mm. So there is no attachment. Uh, I'm no longer part of this. I no longer mm -hmm. belong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's it's interesting that we don't actually talk about that a whole lot of being one of the, the um, forms or the reasons behind dissociation, um, which is a, a big trauma thing that starts in our stage two of the arousal. Mm. Um, as soon as our adrenaline and cortisol dump, we already start our, our dissociation. And so it, we are disconnecting, literally we're disconnecting, which again is the opposite of attaching. Right. Sounds pretty foundational. One would think so. One would think so. And so, you know, the, it's, it's the brain just creating this middle block between your awareness of what's happening and the experiences that are too frightening to know or remember. Mm. That is what's happening in that event for that dissociation. Um, so thinking about attachment as it relates to trauma, that would be a big piece of it is that we no longer attach. Part of our stages, we stop connecting with other people. In stage two of the arousal um, cycle, we isolate and we start disconnecting. In stage three, we don't have connections. We, we, we actively avoid them and push people away. Mm, which, um, even if we're looking at plants, it's like, imagine if part of your root system got cut off but how long are you gonna last if you just get the right at the trunk like if there's a stump left how long are you gonna last well, maybe the christmas season and that's it exactly just the christmas season if you're lucky and somebody waters it right yeah yeah and thinking about plants that's a really good thought because with plants we know that if we connect with plants if we talk to our plants we know that everyone knows that they grow mm. a whole lot better and healthier and happier. Um, you can tell by my plants, I'm not connected to them. 
and they look kind of pitiful, mm. kind of sad. And sometimes they scream for water. They're probably disorganized attachment style with me is what I'm guessing. I did treat my children better than I did my plants in case you're wondering. Um, but we can have attachment trauma when we have uh, a caregiver, for instance, who doesn't meet our needs. So we talked in the last episode a bit about that avoidant attachment style, right? Mm -hmm. For instance, so I'm an infant, I'm crying out, I'm asking for food because I'm hungry, I'm starving, I need the food to grow and develop. And my caregiver doesn't respond to my cries. After a while, I learned that my cries are ineffective. And so I just kind of lie there and wait for my caregiver to bring me my food. Um, what if she, I'll say she, because I'm gonna go with nursing here, breastfeeding. So she, bring, she comes to breastfeed me only when she's full and it's hurting. Mm. And so she takes me and she just kind of holds me up to her breast and just does what needs to be done. Um, maybe I'm drowning under that, that flow at that point, which, mm. you know, babies can get, a, sometimes a bit more can come out than, than babies want the flow can be a little bit greater. Or um, maybe I want more, but she's done. She feels okay now. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of maybes, but she's not attuned to me. She's not listening to me. She's not, it's, she's just all into herself. Mm. And I learned that no matter what I do, it's not going to make any difference. It's not going to affect change in my environment or my needs. Um, I'm also needing that love and affection. That is an actual need. Children who receive uh, plenty of food and shelter and all of that, if they don't receive that love and care, they don't thrive. They can actually be physically smaller. Mm. It's called failure to thrive. It's an actual physical condition. Uh, there was some, some really... Um, uh, they're painful to watch, but there were some studies done with uh, monkeys by Harlow in the late 50s, early 60s around monkeys. And you may remember this from school, but they had, um, they took infant chimpanzees and some, they put them with other monkeys. Some, they put them in a cage that they had just a wire mother that had a, a bottle. Uh, so they were fed. And then they put other monkeys in a cage that had a fur covered wire mother. And then the bottle was actually in a wire covered, uh, I mean, a wire mother, there was no fur on that, mm. looking at attachment. And what they found was the monkeys that grew up without an actual, the actual loving care, they never learned to attach well to the others. They did not do well, they had failure to thrive, even though they fed them plenty. It's on YouTube. It's kind of hard to watch, but, but, uh, and you can no longer do those studies. It was one of the ones reasons why they, we moved into ethics. Again, the researchers, they, they didn't mean to torture the monkeys. They didn't realize what would happen when they mm. did it. So there's that. Um, but we need that love and care. So if I'm a child and I'm getting fed on their schedule, not on mine, um, I'm not getting the love and care that I really need. I mean, sometimes maybe I get a little bit, but not a lot. I'm going to learn that people just don't meet my needs. Maybe that your needs are invisible and they're going to stay that way. Right, right. And so that's a form of trauma. It actually, because I'm in danger. 
literally I'm in danger. And as an infant, if I don't get fed, I could die. There, I, All of my needs must be met by my caregiver. I have no capability of meeting my needs. The only thing I have is crying and showing my distress when I have needs. That is the only way I could potentially affect my environment. Mm. When that doesn't work, I have nothing left. And so I could potentially die. So it is a form of, of trauma. Um, and so we call that attachment trauma. When you end up with an insecure attachment style, it's because there's been some kind of trauma to that attachment bond. There's been something that broke it or caused it to develop in a way that was insecure or anxious or, or that disorganized way. And so when that happens, uh, adults who have that attachment, the insecure attachments, even if they don't have a lot of other trauma, they are at higher risk of developing uh, other problems, mental, social, and physical problems. Depression is, is more likely if you have attachment trauma, since adults with attachment trauma tend to internalize emotions. Remember that attachment trauma means that somehow, some way, our caregivers were not meeting our needs in a way that we needed it met. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we internalize our emotions if that's what happened because we, we know that expressing our emotions, it, it's, it's a helpless situation. Why, why bother? Mm. Why bother? And sometimes if we, um, in some parents, if we, if they don't meet our needs and we continue to express our emotions externally, it aggravates them and we might get yelled at or worse. Punished, sure. Punished, in some way abused even. Right. Because it's like, I'm not, I don't want to do that now. Be quiet. Yeah. And so we, we might tend to, to pull that in and not express our emotions. And so depression, which is internalizing a lot of emotions sometimes or can be unrealized expectations or a combination, they tend to be, if you have an insecure attachment, you might be more likely to have problems with depression. Mm. And one thing that makes me think of is, you know how, I mean, things like uh, poverty mindset can be very hard to see your way out of, mm -hmm. even if you had to go through lean times and a survival mindset that can take a lot to, uh, to, to change all the things that become automatic as ways to behave and ways to think. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, these are not all just reacting in real time to circumstances that are playing out in real time. This whole thing is this process of you organizing your inner life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And, and, you know, as we think about that and we think about the process, through organizing your inner life and learning to regulate your emotions. Think about what you do with children. You know, a child is upset and you talk, shh, shh, shh it's okay. And you help them breathe through it. You, you help them regulate. If you have attachment trauma, there, it's highly likely that no one actually taught you how to self-soothe, how to regulate your emotions. And so you might be more likely to have things like anxiety which is dysregulated worry and thoughts mm. about what ifs, right? It's living in that what if, not the what is. And it's, it's a dysregulated emotion and thoughts that no one actually, within that attachment trauma, that they were able actually to help you step through mm. and learn. Can we talk for just a minute before we move on to the next thing about, uh, 
I kind of want to iron this on a little bit more. I'm, I'm realizing it can, on the surface of it, it can seem a little um, uneven, uh, just on the surface. When you're thinking about, well, wait, it didn't go through anything like, you know, I haven't had anybody hold me at gunpoint. I haven't had these things happen. So why does this affect my life as much as it is? And, and it, it, in a way, it makes me think of how, you know, if you start a long journey and you're pointed a couple in a, in a ship and you're pointed a couple of degrees different from where you're actually intended to go, you won't end up in the place you thought you were going to go. Um, but this seems just abstract enough that it could be a little harder to lay hold of just how real and felt is that existential threat of this being the type of trauma you had, even if it didn't look like your parent taking off their belt and whipping you. Right. For some people it did, but for some people, the damage they took on didn't look like anything extreme in their conscious memory. Yeah, exactly. And that existential threat, you know, if someone were to hold a gunpoint, hold me at gunpoint today as an adult, I would definitely feel traumatized because it's in their power. I would, there's nothing I could do or not do that would cause them to pull that trigger or not. Mm. As an infant, whoever holds the power to feed me or not feed me has that same, very same power. So it, it actually is no different. Mm. It is an existential threat. It is a threat to their very existence, right? And that's, that's why it's so traumatizing. So it seems like it's not that big a deal, but it literally is an equal to someone holding me at gunpoint today. It's like, I will shoot you or I won't shoot you. Depends on what I want to do. Mm. Baby, I will either feed you or not feed you. Depends on where I am today. Now, it's, that's not the thought and the caregiver. And we have compassion for them too. But, mm -hmm. but do keep in mind that, that that is the experience of that infant. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is an existential threat. I mean, we can even think uh we talked before about how uh you know maybe you're making if you're not hearing back when you text somebody you're making meaning out of why you're not hearing back mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot that a baby wouldn't be able to articulate in words but mm -hmm. they still are drawing conclusions oh i don't matter a baby their first year all they're doing is learning who they are in the their place in the world and how the world works and they're like little sponges and everything that goes on, they are recording. Mm. Uh, they may not have like memories because we're not verbal. And we also don't have that fight or flight, by the way, before about three, because we don't have testosterone mm. before about the age of three. And so the baby moves directly from, you know, oh, I'm not being fed right into stage four, all the way to immobilization and helplessness because they don't have the testosterone mm. for that fight or flight. So, you know, it, it, it impacts them because it starts this, uh, it starts conditioning their nervous system and how to respond. It starts training. Conditioning means training. It's like, I'm going to do physical conditioning. I'm going to train my body and it's going to be, it's going to be in this kind of shape. We are conditioning or training our nervous systems when we're infants and it is all around 
the reactions and responses that we get in response to what we're doing and what we're learning in the world. Mm. So it, it does set us up to react in a certain way um, with that. And that's why if, for instance, you know, you, like I was saying, they may internalize their emotions for uh, depression, young people, young infants, as they grow up with attachment trauma may develop alexithymia, which is the lack of ability to recognize that, that they are they're not aware that they have emotions. They don't feel their emotions. Well, they're there, but they're not aware of them. Um, they're not able to, to even name them. They're like, I don't think I feel anything. I'm good. I just feel numb or, you know, I can't name anything. Um, you know, they've, they've learned not to express those emotions. And they, in order to do that, sometimes they just don't feel it. They sort of dissociate. They disconnect from their emotions mm -hmm. because of that right? Because they're not safe. Um, and because of that, addiction is also a possibility. I say a lot of times, I didn't make it up again, but trauma is, childhood trauma is a gateway drug. Mm. And this is the, the original trauma, that attachment trauma. And so addiction is a possibility because, you know, all of this is happening. It's easier to self-soothe with alcohol or drugs, mm -hmm. you know, chemicals, put you in an altered state and, yeah. and you don't have to deal with these feelings. Um, or needs even so you just push it to the side and that's um, a one-way relationship is a lot more predictable that's exactly right exactly right so there is treatment for this it's not like we can't work on this even though it's it's one of the primary traumas for people right uh, it's usually done through psychotherapy this is not usually something you can do yourself um, because because it's it's a Fundamental, I think, was the word that you used, mm -hmm. right? It's a building block. It literally defines how we see ourselves and the world, uh, whether or not the world is a safe place or not, whether or not we're positive or you know, optimistic or pessimistic. Um, it, it defines all of those things. But you actually can be treated. Um, psychodynamic theory works really well with that. And that's, that's more talking about, you know, helping you identify your feelings and move more and more about your thoughts and your what, how you project into the world and what you see in the world says a lot about who you are. Mm -hmm. So it pulls it back into you. You know, if I, I'm reacting to this, why, what, why am I reacting to that? And what does that have to do with it? So it's, it's all of that, as well as finding people who have secure attachments to attach to, recognizing that and allowing them to securely attach to you in a mm -hmm. way that teaches you and models for you what that secure attachment looks like. I like that. Yeah. yeah, if it crumbled in the context of relationship, it has to be rebuilt in the context of relationship. Always. Trauma is always interpersonal. So healing of trauma always has to be interpersonal and relational. Yeah. It's such a temptation to try to fix yourself by yourself, right? Yeah, especially if you have an attachment trauma, right? Because you can't ask for help. That world it doesn't work that way for you. Mm. So yeah, yeah. But for this, you have to have psychotherapy. However, it can work actually pretty well and pretty not as long. It doesn't take as long as you would think that it would. Mm. Yeah, it's it's as long as you're engaged in the process, it's actually pretty faster than I ever expected when I started doing the work. Mm. So yeah, there's that. And importantly, freeing. When you engage in the work. Yes, there is nothing like a, a secure attachment, 
um, it just feels good all the time, you know, and it sets the tone with how you see the whole world in yourself. So, so yeah, if, uh, if, if you've maybe even been beyond the point where you're even willing to hope anymore that life could be what you wanted it to be. I understand if you don't want to go all in on this, but maybe if you think you're ready to dip your toe in and sort of test the waters and see, well, maybe I can learn a few things and maybe tempering my expectations. I could even try a few things. It's, uh, it's worth getting your feet wet with it. You know, there are those who will testify having gone through it and come out the other side. This is, it's not just a pipe dream. This is a process that others have walked out and you actually can too. Yes. Yes. And if it's hard to believe that, then that's all the more reason not to try to do it alone. Yes. For real. For real. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And we'll talk soon. Bye.